0: Together, we can ensure a sustainable, thriving world for all. Join a world of actionism. COP28 UAE. Unite, act, deliver. Hi, I'm Marcelo Jauro Givolpe, and this is The Climate Divide, Season 2. You just heard a promotional clip for COP28, which stands for the 28th Conference of the Parties a climate summit organized by the United Nations. Today, November 30th, is the first day of the summit, and nearly 200 UN member states are convening in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, to collaborate and come up with long-term solutions to address climate change.
1: What do we want? We do now! When do we want it? Now!
0: Thousands of protesters tend to gather at the site of these summits to criticize world leaders for not taking meaningful action to reduce emissions address environmental injustices. These summits tend to get a lot of media attention, though you may be listening now and have never heard of a COP conference, which is very reasonable since a big criticism of these large UN events is that they seem so disconnected from our day-to-day experiences. If we are to stop the world from warming up too much, it's crucial that world leaders, especially those from countries like the US that emit the most greenhouse gases, actually meet their promises and take drastic measures to slow down global warming. There are some crucial dates coming up. We are seven years away from 2030, which is the deadline 196 countries agreed on eight years ago at COP21 to drastically reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. This accord is known as the Paris Agreement, which has the overall goal of keeping the increase in the global average temperature to below 2 degrees Celsius, which is 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit. The UN actually wants countries to strive for an increase below 1.5 degrees Celsius, Though their Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change warns that this goal is becoming unattainable and that the world's greenhouse gas emissions would have to peak and start declining by 2025 to achieve this goal. While the world waits to see if these national targets are met, local governments need to ensure that residents in vulnerable areas are protected in an already changing climate. Community advocates play an important role in bringing attention towards the issues and fighting for just solutions. Today we speak to Fraser Walton Jr., a resident of Kingman Park in Northeast DC and member of the Kingman Park Civic Association.
1: I am a lifelong resident of Kingman Park except for going away to school. This has always been my home. So we're talking now 74 years and the Kingman Park Civic Association was founded when the neighborhood was founded in 1928. And so I'm just on the shoulders of a lot of people who came before me, parents and parents before them, and neighbors who fought to keep the neighborhood strong.
0: Walton has been on the front lines when it comes to fighting environmental injustices. Thanks to collaborations with other civic organizations and environmental groups, there have been some hard fought wins to clean up the Anacostia River and reduce flooding that has long affected some D.C. residents. But as Walton points out, there's more work to be done.
1: I have never seen, as I said, I've been here all my life, and I'm not the only one. I talk to many of the long time residents because we know the neighborhood, and we have never seen as much flooding and as much water in our lives.
0: Nowadays, the currently unused Robert F. Kennedy Memorial Stadium, with all of its fields and parking lots, separates Kingman Park from the Anacostia River. Benning Road and the Stadium Armory Metro Station, both at the perimeter of Kingman Park, are the source of a lot of noise and traffic. But when Walton was a child, the neighborhood had a much different feel. We
1: used to actually fish in the Anacostia. We didn't need them. 1950s but you could fish because there was no stadium there so all of that was woods along the Anacostia and the only thing that was there was the hospital that was it and the city jail used to be there that was it it was like living in, in a very suburban area but you were still in the city
0: This woodland field started to change with the construction of the RFK stadium.
1: Consciousness of restoration began because with the stadium being built there, then you had more and more runoff from cars and carbon monoxide poisoning because of the runoff and vehicle traffic. You had more trash. So all of those things began to pollute the river and more construction on this side of the city. That's when we began to notice a lot of problems.
0: Many residents spoke up about a power plant on Benning Road, which opened in 1906 and was operated by the utility company Pepco. The plant ceased operations in 2012.
1: You know, the soil was contaminated, the air was contaminated, the river was contaminated, and a fellow by the name of George Gurley He lived in River Terrace and Gurley was the first one to bring it to light.
0: Curley had led an effort against the addition of two generators at the Benning Road plant in the late 1980s. Pepco would eventually discard their expansion request in 1990. After confirming that Pepco facilities were releasing toxic chemicals, the DC government gave Pepco notice that it intended to sue in 2010, which resulted in a 2011 consent decree that required the company to perform further evaluations on the state of the Anacostia and come up with cleanup solutions. In addition to the Benning Road plant, Pepco also operated a power generating station at Buzzard Point in Southwest DC. This past October, the city sued Pepco for knowingly dumping toxic chemicals into the Anacostia, resulting in the company agreeing to pay the city $57 million. Holding companies accountable for polluting waterways and neighborhoods is one way local governments can usher in environmental justice. Improvements to city's water management is another crucial task that falls to local governments. In DC's case, that has led to an expansion to the storm sewer system. It's a rainy day in DC and I'm currently by Piney Branch, which is a stream that flows into Rock Creek in Northwest DC. And I'm right in front of this sign that says, Warning, Combined Sewer Overflow Discharge Point. Pollution may occur during rainfall. CSO outfall number 049. To give some context on what this means, about a third of DC's sewer system is combined and over a century old. In a combined sewer system, both sewage and stormwater pass through the same pipes and are directed to the Blue Plains Advanced Wastewater Treatment Plant in Southwest DC. When this system gets overwhelmed by heavy rainfall, the excess flow is diverted and released onto the district's rivers and streams. About 40 million gallons of these combined sewer overflows are estimated to go into Piney Branch alone, but when there's heavier rainfall, these gates open up and dump a combination of sewage and stormwater onto the tributary. There's a project being planned now that would build a tunnel underneath Piney Branch to minimize these overflows. This tunnel is one component of DC Water's Clean Rivers project, a multi-billion dollar program. I recorded that clip you just heard on Tuesday, November 21st, at around 3 p.m. It rained the entire day that day, and picked up especially at night. This was the most rain that the D.C. region had seen in a few months, and according to the Capital Weather Report, some areas had the most precipitation they've received on a single day this year. In the first episode this season, I touched on the Clean Rivers Project's most recent milestone, the completion of the Northeast Boundary Tunnel. It passes underneath the area of Rhode Island Avenue that saw flooding in mid-August, which resulted in the death of 10 dogs at the Dog Daycare Center District Dogs. The tunnel began operating on September 15th, a month after the flood at District Dogs. While it just opened, the origins of this tunnel go back to the 90s, when Nature Conservation Group started calling attention to the health of the Anacostia River. In
1: the 1990s, we began to be approached by a number of groups like the Anacostia Watershed Society and the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Various organizations began to take an interest in both the Potomac and Anacostia and the combined sewage system that existed on this side of the city. So
0: we came together. These groups were represented by the environmental law organization Earth Justice, in a suit against D.C. Water, which back then was called the D.C. Water and Sewage Authority that claimed that the combined sewer overflows violated the Clean Water Act. The lawsuit ended with a consent decree that required DC Water to come up with a plan to deal with the combined sewer overflows.
2: Both EPA, the district, and the environmental group agreed with DC Water. When we go ahead, and implement this plan, which we call the long-term control plan, we're gonna meet the water quality standard. So then they entered into a consent decree in 2005 to implement, This plan, as per the schedule in the decree, and complete its implementation by 2030. We stated clearly what type of controls we need to have for both Anacostia,
0: Potomac, and Rock Creek. That was Musa Wong, the Vice President of DC Water's Clean Rivers Project, which in the 2000s was referred to as a long-term control plan. The first phase of the project Focus on reducing combined sewer overflows in the Anacostia. In 2018, DC Water completed the Anacostia River Tunnel, which connects to another Clean Rivers underpass, the Blue Plains Tunnel, that diverts combined sewer overflows to the Blue Plains Water Treatment Facility. The Northeast Boundary Tunnel was the last piece of the Anacostia River Tunnel system. Next year, work will begin on the Potomac River Tunnel, and a green infrastructure project in neighborhoods east of Rock Creek Park is expected to be completed. The latter project involves building rain gardens and absorbent pavement that will help manage stormwater during heavy rains. There's sort of a order to it. You know, it seems like focusing on the Anacostia first and then going Potomac. Was that sort of the order that was always in mind?
2: We immediately jumped when we started this program. We started with Anacostia because Anacostia was the most impaired because Anacostia was seeing more than 2 billion gallons of sewer dumped into the Anacostia River. The second most impacted was the Potomac, which was around more than a billion gallon. And then Rock Creek, Rock Creek, we have more outfalls, but there are not really a highest year. So it was 49 million gallons only going to Rock Creek. So that's why we said first of the order of business, is to address the issues on the Anacostia because that was
0: the most impacted river. Wone is referring to the gallons dumped in an average year. With the northeast boundary tunnel complete, DC water expects a massive reduction in these combined sewer overflows.
2: 98% for the Anacostia River, that's exactly the reduction here for an average year. So before clean rivers, more than 2 billion gallons of sewer were discharged to the river now we completed the clean rivers, this is going to be reduced to 54 million gallons, which is a 98% reduction. And the number of overflows, basically the frequency, going to be reduced from more than 80 events in an average year to two in average year.
0: If these reductions are met, the Anacostia River will continue to become cleaner, to the point that people could even swim in the river, which has been illegal since 1971. In February, the Department of Energy and Environment made an exception to this ban, as long as water quality standards are met. The conservation nonprofit Anacostia Riverkeeper secured a permit for a swimming event in July. The swim ended up being rescheduled to September because of a combined sewer overflow discharge, and then cancelled because of stormy weather. Even though the Northeast Boundary Tunnel was not operative at the time, Anacostia Riverkeeper found a few locations that passed water quality standards. Thanks in part to the Anacostia River Tunnel, that's been in operation since 2018. DC Water also hopes that the Northeast Boundary Tunnel will reduce chronic flooding near the Rhode Island Avenue Metro, Rhode Island Avenue Northeast, and Mount Olivet Road Northeast. Less flooding will improve the quality of life for many residents, while a cleaner Anacostia would enable an engagement with the river we haven't seen in generations. You talked about, you know, when you were younger and you'd fish. You know, you so see you fish in the Anacostia but not obviously not eat the fish. Do you see the days coming up soon where you'd actually fish and eat the fish that you fish in the Anacostia?
1: Oh, absolutely. They've got to talk about first dredging the river. And yeah, you'll be fishing on it. I won't probably be around, but they're gonna do it for sure.
0: The Department of Energy and Environment's Anacostia River Sediment Project seeks to identify the extent of pollution in Anacostia and come up with cleanup solutions. The agency held a virtual public meeting yesterday, November 29, to provide an update on the project and seek comments from the community. Comments can also be sent to Anacostia River Sediment Project at dc.gov until December 13. According to D.C. Attorney General Brian Schwab, funds from the $47 million PEPCO settlement will go to the first cleanup phase of the sediment project. The Climate Divide is produced and edited by me. Claudia Peralta Torres provided additional editing and sound mixing support. Christine McDonald is a series editor and executive director of Hola Cultura. Members of the Society and Culture team in Hola Cultura's storytelling program for experiential learning also contribute to this podcast. This project is supported by Spotlight DC and the Pulitzer Center.